We're uh, starting a new series, and it's that time of year where school starts up, and for some, kids go off to college. Uh, for some of us, the highlight of this time of year is that college football started yesterday, and that seems like a good thing to us. Uh, and so, in keeping with that vein, thinking about how we move into greater places of understanding, and how we... Uh, deal with truth, uh, I want to lead us through a short series on how we relate to God and the truth. And so, you know, I call this fully you, but really it's, a, it's about living in the reality of Jesus Christ and the world that he has given us. And that means living with truth and honesty with him. And so the subtitle for this whole series is Lies That We Like To Tell God. And um, I'll unpack that a little bit in a moment, but uh, where we're going to start this morning with the lie that we tell God when we tell God, you know, I know that you have given me things that you want me to do. I know that you have asked me to comply with your will. I know you've asked me to obey, and I'm working on that when we're really trying to find ways to not do what God wants us to do. And so, um, yeah, we tell God, well, you know, I'm working on that, but we're really just trying to delay and... uh, uh, move in another direction. So think about this as we start this series and this message. God asks for our obedience. He asks us to obey him. And oftentimes we try to deceive him by pretending to obey him or at least tell him that we're, yeah, we're doing that. We're working on that, God. But we're really doing other things. We're really applying ourselves in other places, not the things that God has asked of us. It's really easy for us to see this in other people. We can say, you know, what they really should be doing if they wanted to honor God is this. You know, we can point that out. And I'd be happy to point out what God wants you to do in your life. But the trouble is that we, when we come to pursue God with our lives, he always calls us into deep water. He always calls us into difficult pathways because he wants to have the glory of what happens in our lives. And if he calls us to do easy things, there's not much glory there. Because people can look and say, well, you know, I could have done that. I could have done that on my own without God's help. And so God calls us to great steps of faith, leaps of faith. And we come to those places and we go, you know, yeah, I'll get right on that. And then we look around to try and find something else to do because we really don't want to do what taxes us spiritually. Now for some of us, we can think about obedience and we go, you know, this is about getting some of those big nasty pieces out of our lives. And so, you know, getting rid of addictions and and getting rid of, you know, deep resentments. And and yet, I I think this is a day-to-day effort that the Holy Spirit, when we listen to the Holy Spirit and he guides us, he calls us and causes us to do things. He he pushes us toward things that we just go, I don't know. I don't know. And so we tend to say, "I'm, I'm working on that. I'm not ready to do that, but I'm working on that. So here's how we try to spin it. And um, several years ago, in popular culture, um, we coined a phrase, or the media coined a, a term, for people who work on telling things in a certain light. 
We call them spin doctors. These are, these are people who get uh, in front of cameras in the media and they try to tell people this is the way things are and they try to spin it, they try to turn it and give a perspective to reality that is most in their favor. That's what a spin doctor does. And, and, and I'll just tell you, anybody who has a press secretary, that is the job of their press secretary. That's it. It's trying to orient things to their best favor. And so what they do is they try to say things and come as close to the truth as they can without, without being fully honest. And if you think that this is just a pattern by a certain segment of our population, a certain side of the aisle politically, I would suggest to you that every human being tries to reorient reality and change perspective so that it makes us look the best. We all try to do that. And I'm just going to be brutally honest here, and I'm being brutally honest with myself and with you as I say this, but when we try to put things in and make it so that we arrive in our best light, we are trying to shift truth in our favor. And any time we are deceiving and not allowing things to be open and honest, we are lying. And I would also suggest to you then that lying is a form of control. It's a form of control where we are convincing ourselves and others that things are not really the way they are. They are different and different is always better for me. And if I can change the way you see the world so that you see it in a different way, if I can change the way that you view me so that you don't see the bad stuff, you only see the good stuff, I am trying to control your perception and I'm trying to control the way you're going to interact with me. And most importantly, I'm trying to control the favor that you'll give me. I want you guys to think I'm an awesome pastor. I want you to think I'm the best pastor you've ever had. And so I'm going to do things in that light. And there are times when I will do things and I won't show you all the stuff. Because you would go, I've never had a pastor do that. And I'm not sure I like it. Now, if you've been around me very long, you know that I'm not very good at that. Because you still get to say that, and I cannot spin things fast enough, and I can't reorient things fast enough to cover up all the flaws. In an era of fake news, in an era where the media bombards us with every angle, not just multiple angles, every angle, having a sense of what is real and true and pure, I think can only be found with the help of God's Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's easy. And I think one of the things that complicates that is we don't really want to deal with the truth on a regular basis. We want to define reality in our terms. We want to say, Lord, make it so that it fits us the best. It puts things in the easiest position, in the easiest light, so that we are not under constant demand. 
And then I come back to what Jesus said when he called his followers. He said, you know, if you want to come after me, if you want to be my follower, you should deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And you just go, wow, that is about the hardest, the hardest entrance exam you could ever face. You see, there's a difference between knowing what God wants you to do and actually doing it. And in fact, I think most of us here have a pretty good idea of what God really desires of his people in the world. I mean, he has given us a tremendous amount of information. So he's given us stories. And in this series, we're going to look at several stories from the Old Testament. People who tried to rearrange reality so that it was to their best interest. But it's not just what we read from the Old Testament we can look at the life of Christ and what Christ did. And we know that, that Christ said that we are to imitate him, that we should do what he did and follow his example. Well, as we look at the difference between knowing and doing, one of my favorite Old Testament characters is Samson. He is bizarre. I do not fully understand how God worked through Samson. I don't, I don't entirely like what God did with Samson because if it were up to me, I would have given Samson the pink slip. You're fired. God did things for you, asked things of you, and you used them for the worst possible reasons. So let me remind you just a little bit about Samson and, and who he was. I mean, Samson was quite literally as we keep with this university and higher learning theme, he was the big man on campus, BMOC. I mean, he was the guy that had it all. Samson, from the time he was conceived, God spoke to his parents and said to his parents, Manoah and his wife, said, you know, this child you're going to have is going to be different. And this child is going to be different, and he's going to do things that other people can't do. And I want you to raise him in a way that is a higher level of obedience than other people. That's what he said. This isn't unique. The Lord did this at different times with different people. He did the same thing with John the Baptist and Zechariah and, and, and uh, said, you know, I, I'm bringing this child into the world and... And he is going to be this mouthpiece for me. And we know that he did this again with Mary and Joseph when he said, you know, I am conceiving Christ in your womb and I'm bringing him into the world and he is going to be different and he is going to be the lamb of the new covenant. And so over and over again, we can see in scripture where Christ promises a child and then says, you know, I am going to do things with this child that just don't seem normal and natural. And that was certainly true of Samson. And so as they said to Manoah and his wife, the Lord said to them, I want you to raise this child under a certain vow of a certain sect of the Hebrew people to be a Nazarite. And that meant that they followed even more rules than just an Israelite. They followed even more laws. And one of the things, a very specific thing that, that many of you will remember, that God asked of them before Samson was even born, he said, don't you ever cut his hair. Now somewhere along the time when I hit about junior high, 
I decided that a better way of trying to manipulate my parents was to use scripture. And so I remember my mom and dad coming to me saying, you know what, you need to go get a haircut. Your hair is getting long and unruly and it doesn't look good. And I said, you know, Samson was able to do things, amazing things for God because he didn't cut his hair. And my mom and dad listened to me to retell the story of Samson as though they'd never heard it before. And then they said, you're not Samson. (laughs) And in hindsight, I'm really glad. Because Samson had this incredible favor. And I think, and this is quite subjective, but I think Samson grew up as a golden child. That his parents said, you know, God told us about you, and we're never cutting your hair because God's going to do amazing things with you. And you are going to be above other people. And that's exactly what happened with Samson. And he knew it. And so Samson had this incredible ego, and he went around making trouble. And what we tend to think of as Samson is his incredible physical strength. Those are the stories we remember about Samson. However, his story is punctuated by a series of terrible decisions, selfish decisions. And so Samson, first of all, he sees a woman. He's out one day, out you know, walking around, and a girl catches his eye, just like happens to just about every other guy that has ever lived. And he sees this woman, and she apparently is attractive, and she's a Philistine. And Samson goes to his parents, and he goes, I have found the woman I'm going to marry, and that's her right there. And his parents plead with him, like some of you have, please do not start falling in love with them. And it falls on deaf ears. (laughs) You know how hard it is to argue against a young man with raging hormones. And Samson goes, nope, I'm going to marry her. And so he does. And he marries her. And um, he loses her. And when he loses her, he, he sees that the cause of his loss is the Philistines. And he goes into a rage. And he uses this incredible blessing of strength to go to war. And he does this a couple of times. You remember the story where he picks up the jawbone of a donkey that had died. And he uses the jawbone of the donkey and he kills a thousand people. And we just go, wow, you know, he's just swinging the thing around and people are dying. But if you think about how gory that must have been. How incredibly brutal that Samson just beat a thousand men to death with a bone. And you go, wow, you know, this isn't a guy I want to spend my Saturday with. You know? Then again, you know, he, he falls in love again with Delilah. But at another point, he, he has this ongoing feud with the Philistines. Of course, these are people who are opposed to God, so he thinks he's okay. And he catches these foxes, and he ties their tails together, and then he puts a, a, a brand of fire, a burning uh, branch on their tails, and runs them out through the wheat fields and burns all their, their crops down, and the, the Philistines are facing famine. 
And so they try to find ways, they're plotting to find ways against Samson because this guy just is able to do incredible things. And, and at another point, he goes to their city and, and he sleeps with Delilah and then he wakes up early because they were going to try to catch him before dawn. And he goes to the gates of their city, the stronghold, you know, where you close these huge, heavy wooden doors to close out any enemies. And he just tears them off of their hinges and carries them up onto the hillside. And you can imagine that after these series of stories, the Philistines see Samson coming and they just go, oh man, I hate that guy. And I can't beat him. I can't best him. And he's arrogant and he's violent. And we've got to destroy him. There's a, there's a bit of a Christology in Samson's life. He's, he's kind of of the type of Christ. He is promised of God who is going to save the people from the Philistines. But Samson is incredibly flawed and he violates God's will over and over again. He takes Philistine wives. He takes Delilah who is a prostitute to be uh, his partner. And this strong man who's the big man on campus becomes this guy who is who is the uh, picture of the Philistines' anger and hatred, and if we could take this guy down. And so they look for ways, and they look for ways, and they put Delilah up to to sneaking in and, and asking of him, what's the source of your strength? And of course, you know, pillow talk will take down a strong man. Always. And so... She gets the, the secret. And she shares the secret. And they grab him and they cut his hair. And when they cut his hair, that, that one act of obedience got defied. The one thing God said, I don't want to have happen to you, happens. And he's weakened. And you remember the stories he has taken. And in order to further weaken him, they gouge out his eyes. They blind him so that he can't see anymore. And then he still has some physicality to him, and so they, they leash him to the threshing wheel, and they treat him like an ox, like a beast of burden, and enslave him. And it's not just about threshing out their grain. I'm sure it's about pointing at him. Every time they go to their enemies, they go, you see that guy? You remember what that guy did to us? Look what we did to him. And it's just violent and brutal one-upmanship. Here was Samson, a man of great promise that God said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you able to do things that other people can't even fathom. It's going to boggle their minds. It's going to leave them bewildered. And yet Samson has an incredibly weak commitment to what God asked of him. He knows the power of God. He knows that the power of God resident in him has to do with him obeying and not cutting his hair. His physical power comes from this blessing and this kind of a covenant between God. I will give you this physical ability. Don't cut your hair. I don't understand it. I have a lot of questions why God would ask him to do that and what what was so important about that. But even though he knows this, He is lacking the faith and obedience to say, I will not do anything to jeopardize these beautiful locks of hair. So he knows what God has asked of him, but he is incredibly weak when it comes to actually following through and doing it. 
He knows what God has asked of him. He has been trained as a Nazarite. He understands obedience, but when it comes to obeying, he goes, yeah, I don't think so. And so you kind of get the sense that God says, hey, Samson, this is what I want you to do. Oh, I'm working on that, but right now I'm going to go take a wife who's a Philistine. I'm working on that, but I'm really mad at these guys, so let me get back to you, Lord, after I use this incredible blessing to cause great suffering. So we pick up the story in Judges chapter 16, verses 21 through 30. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. They said, our god has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, Bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them. And they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, Place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people and all the Philistine rulers were there. There were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign God, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. Kind of makes Samson the first suicide bomber. You know, I read that and I, I tell you, when you think through what's going on, this is, a, this is a story you don't want to read for a bedtime story to your kids. Please don't do that. Because here is Samson and he has been mutilated and humbled. Become a person of ridicule because he gave up his faithfulness. And now they bring him into this temple, into this arena, like he's a clown. That's what scripture tells us. They brought him there to amuse themselves. And so they bring him in and they're making fun of him. Maybe they're throwing rotten tomatoes at him. And, and here he is and he has complete understanding that I messed up. You know, I, I look at Samson's story and you just think, man, this guy sinned regularly, regularly, regularly. Why didn't God just write him off and say, Samson, you had your chance. I'm going to go to another guy who's got great hair. And I'm going to use him. But he didn't. God was faithful even though Samson sinned over and over again. And some of the sins of Samson, you and I would find reprehensible. And some of the things that Samson did, if we were to watch that happen, it would cause us to turn away in disgust. 
But here's what's amazing to me. Even though Samson was weak and foolish and violent and angry, and we could just go on and on and on, God never broke his promise to Samson. And I find that incredible. And so I would just suggest to you that whenever you're weak and foolish and angry and you do things that defy God and you find yourself in that habit of sin, God will not break his promise. Now that doesn't mean we just get to go on our merry way because we see that Samson pays an incredible price. He is inflicted with pain and humiliation and embarrassment, and the guy who was the promise of the nation of Israel becomes the clown of the Philistines. And I'm reminded that in spite of Samson's sin, God gave him the power to overcome the Philistines over and over and over again and make their lives miserable until he broke the one promise. And I am not sure I fully understand this. I don't know, and and just forgive me as I kind of go down a bit of a rabbit trail here, but I do not understand how Samson's hair was more important than his sexuality. Can I just say that? Because here's a guy who violates marriage law. Here's a guy who takes up with Delilah, a prostitute. Here's a guy who then gives her this information that God has said, hold this sacred. And God says, it's your hair. I don't understand that. But I know this. God will ask us to obey him in things we do not understand so that he can find our faithfulness and build our faithfulness and build our trust in him. And there are times, I know that you, some of you have experienced this, when God asks us to do something, we say, why in the world, Lord, would you want me to do that? Why that? I don't know what it is that's your Samson's hair. (laughs) But as we go to the next slide, I want you to think about what it is that God asks of you in obedience. What God gives and how we respond has everything to do with obedience. So what is the one thing that God wants from you right now? And I'm pretty sure that it's not trivial, and I'm pretty sure it's not easy. And we might sit here and think, you know, not cutting your hair? What a deal. That's all Samson had to put up with. And I would just suggest to you that Samson probably looked really strange in comparison to other men. I'm sure that Samson had to spend extra time grooming and preparing that other people didn't have to. And I'm sure this made Samson stand out that he would walk down the street and everybody goes, oh, there he is. Everybody knows him. He's got this reputation. And you can tell him by his hair. What's the one thing God is asking of you? Because it's probably something that's going to make you stand out, feel weird, look different, And do something that's uncomfortable. What is it that God wants you to do? Because here's the thing. That that thing that rises to the top. That he is asking obedience in that area. It's crucial for you. Samson's hair was crucial. And when he gave that up. He was overcome. 
and he became ridiculed. And he went from being feared to being a beast of burden. So what he's asking you to obey you is something he wants of you and that belongs to him. And so my next question is this, then how do you guard what he's asking of you? You know, I would suggest that, I'm going to throw a couple of possibilities out of here for you young people. It may be that God is asking you to trust him with regard to relationships. And particularly relationships with people of the opposite sex. And that's one thing where we go, you know, I'm like Samson, man, I can put my eyes on that person and I just go, I don't care who they are or where they come from or what their values are. I want that And the one thing God might be asking of you is your purity and your chastity in ways that our world does not honor or respect or think is worthwhile. And so how are you going to guard that? For some of us, what God is asking for us is to let go of and defy the values of our world with regard to materialism. The way the rest of the world buys stuff and accumulates stuff and puts stuff aside and shows it off. And I want you to not do that. I want you to say no. I don't need it. And the rest of the world will go, really? Why not? And it's going to be weird and uncomfortable. So how are you guarding that? How do you guard that? Maybe for some of you, it's not relationships of the opposite sex, but it's that God is calling you to endeavor for relationships across boundaries. I want you to befriend that person who is weird and a different color and from a different place. But what will my neighbors think if they see him drive up and park in my driveway? The way they're dressed and the way they talk. How do you guard that? If you want to know where this, where this one piece of obedience is right now, I'll ask the third question. Where are you really struggling to obey? Where are you really struggling to obey?